Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 95 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we return to the Norse world as we go on an adventure with Thor in the land of giants. But first, I want to give a big welcome to any returning listeners and indeed any new listeners. You are so welcome along to Fireside. Thank you so much for your new and or continued support. Please do follow us over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. That is the best place to get in touch with me if you want to message me with thoughts or comments about the podcast or if you just want to say hello. I always love hearing from each and every one of you. If you're not on social media, you can contact me via email at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. And if you really want to support the podcast, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast, where you can join our ever growing list of very loyal and kind benefactors. And I want to give a particular thank out to our two new patrons for this week. I want to give a big thank you to Stephen Reno and Anne Louise Rich. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon supporters of of Fireside and I just want to say I I gave an announcement on the Patreon this this way but currently over at Fireside HQ we are developing something very very exciting and in in the world of evolving this podcast into what I always hoped it would evolve to the Patreon for the past the Patreon's been ticking over kind of nicely for about the last year or so that's when it started to actually start to to grow and uh, to gain donations. And in all that time, I haven't touched any of the money because I always wanted it to go towards back into the podcast and back into the furthering of this this storytelling project and this, this ongoing passion of mine for this kind of thing. And I have that now. That uh, it has always been my idea to, to develop Fireside into a, a functioning business and to grow it and expand it to what I know it can be and I finally have that in mind now and over on the Patreon I'm explaining all of that and keeping my followers up to date so your support has never been more appreciated as it has in these past few months particularly with the pandemic and with all live venues and nearly all of the arts industry on its knees it's never been more appreciated but just so you know it is all going on a very good reason and my patrons have been told about that and will 
continue to be told as it develops. But if you are in a position to donate, even if it's just for a month or even if it's just for a couple of quid, a coffee once a month, if you think I'd buy that guy a coffee or pint, you can do so. But it sounds like am, but there is no hard sell on that. It is there if you want to. If not, I'm going to continue to release this podcast each and every week for free. That is that is an absolute given. The Patreon is just there if you want to and if you are positioned to and know it is going to a very good home. But the story, the story for this week, we return once again to Norse mythology. This just, these episodes are such a treat for me because the Norse texts are so well preserved. And yes, there are so many versions of them out there better than I could ever do. And there's nothing as much I can bring to the table here, but they are within the same world that we've been dealing with. And this this story in particular, these next two episodes are essentially going to be two sides of the same coin. I explained this before, but this is... I encountered this story in Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology, which was the first book on Norse myths that I read. I've since read a few more since. And then a couple of years after reading that book, I was listening to a story, uh, a harp player called Robin Williamson, not to be confused with Robin Williams, him telling a story about Fionn McCool. And about five or ten minutes into the story, I just went to myself, I've heard this somewhere before. And sure enough, it was the same story. It had come from the same kernel. So I was debating whether to do neither one or or both. And I decided to do both because the next two weeks will be the same story told in a very, very different way. You know, you it, there's almost a feeling of deja vu if you listen to these stories back to back because you can hear that there's a similarity even though they are occupying totally different worlds with different consequences. So I wanted to experience that because I wanted to truly show how influential the Norse myths and the Celts, the Celtic mythology were to each other and how different they are but how also they occupied the same world because I'm discovering at the moment and it made me feel really good that I've been doing the Viking occupation and the Norse invasion of Ireland that the first time any of the Irish myths were written down this is all happening in the 8th, 9th and 10th century that's the very first time the previously oral tradition was written down by these Christian scribes and altered beyond belief but What's happening in Ireland in the 8th, 9th and 10th century? You have the Norse invasions and the rise of Brian Boru. So at the exact same time these stories are written down for the first time, you have everything going on that we've been talking about in the last couple of months. So that really made it feel like this gut feeling I've had that I wanted to explore and dip the toe into the Norse invasion of Ireland and to have a little glimpse into Norse mythology was right on the money. But we'll talk a bit more about this story after it, of course, but this is Thor in the Land of Giants on Fireside. Thor in the Land of Giants. In the Norse world, as in the Celtic, as indeed in the ancient Greek, as indeed of all world cultures, nothing was more sacred than hospitality. And in the inhospitable Norse hinterlands, no one dared refuse a stranger at their door, fearing that it could in fact be a god in disguise. This was for good reason. 
for there was little the gods enjoyed more than journeying along the rainbow bridge of Bifrost to Midgard, our world that the Allfather Odin had created for us. There was once a poor farmer, his wife and his two children. They were surprised one day to see a chariot approaching their farm pulled by two goats. Their surprise turned to horror when the two cloaked figures on board revealed themselves. One was burly beyond belief, arms like legs and legs like tree trunks, barrel-chested with a shock of red hair and a bushy, unkempt beard. The other was slender, snake-hipped, the most well-dressed figure the family had ever seen. There could be no doubt. One was Thor, God of Thunder, the Giant Slayer. The other was the God of Mischief, Loki. Without saying a word, Loki invited himself inside the farmer's hut and began inspecting the food situation. He re-emerged, disappointed. Nothing for us here, Thor. Looks like it'll have to be goat yet again. Thor announced himself to the farmer and the family, considerably more mannerly than Loki. You there, boy. What is your name? Thialvi, replied the farmer's son. Thialvi, be a good lad and untackle my goats and bring them inside. The boy obeyed, running faster than anyone Thor or Loki had seen. Once the goats were inside, Loki produced a knife and quicker than you could say goat stew, slit the animals' throats, skinned, chopped, and boiled them in the family cauldron. When supper was ready, Thor turned to the still-frightened family. No need to fear. Eat your fill. There's plenty for us all. My one request is that you do not discard of any bones. When you find one, throw it back on the goat skins. The family happily noshed on this nourishing feast of the gods, carefully avoiding and replacing any bones found. But when Thialvi found that he had been served an entire thigh bone, excitement got the better of the lad, and he stashed the bone away. How else will I prove to my friends that I ate with the gods, he thought. Thor and Loki spent the night, the next morning, the family awoke to find Thor putting the bones of the goats back together like a jigsaw. Once complete, Loki put the skins over them, and suddenly the two goats were back to life. But Thor, who had up to this point been smiling and friendly, suddenly frowned. You disrespectful mortals! My goat is lame! One of you had kept a bone for yourselves! Confess, or feel the wrath of my hammer, Mjolnir. The Alvi began to cry. He ran and produced the bone. The father ran to the god of thunder. Please, forgive my son. He is young. He did not know. Silence, commanded Thor. You must be punished. As he often did, Loki interjected. Thor, perhaps we can bring the boy with us. Thor smiled. That's actually a wonderful idea. He may yet prove useful. Boy, pack your bags. 
Thialvi gulped. Where are we going? Loki said. To Jotunheim. To the land of giants. The gods told the boy's parents they would return him when they felt his penance was up. In return, the family could hold custody of Thor's goats. Because Thialvi was mortal, he would have been incinerated on Bifrost. So the three travellers went by Longboat. When they reached Jotunheim, they came across a thick forest. Each tree was the size of a Midgard jungle. Loki found a cave for them to sleep in. But the next morning, they were awoken by an earth-shattering sound. Thor grabbed Mjolnir and ran outside. There, he was confronted by the largest giant he had ever seen. Thor was the giant slayer. It's what he was known for. It's what he did for fun. But this great brute made even the god of thunder look in awe. Thor! roared the giant in a surprisingly friendly manner. Welcome to Jotunheim. I had heard you had been spotted. Who... who are you? You can call me Screamir. I'm here to guide you to the Giant King, but I seem to have lost my glove. Ah, there it is. The cave that Thor and Loki and Thialvi had slept in on a daylight's inspection was actually a giant's glove. Screamir put it on his hand. There we are. Now, those provisions look heavy. Let me carry them for you. Screamir trunched ahead through the Jotunheim forest as the two gods and one mortal ran behind. Thialvi would occasionally sprint ahead to see where the giant was. Loki then said, I'm tired and hungry. Thialvi, run ahead and tell Screamir to stop for the night. By the time the trio had caught up, the giant was already asleep. He had left the bag of provisions tied to a tree. Thor leapt up the branch and attempted to untie the lace of the bag. He was unsuccessful. That rotten giant, Thor grumbled. The god of thunder then jumped onto the sleeping Screamir's forehead and called for him to wake up. The giant snored peacefully. Thor then raised his hammer high in the air and slammed it on Screamir's head. The giant opened one eye and said, Hmm, I think someone's tickling me. Perhaps a leaf, and went back to sleep. Growing angrier, hungrier, and more tired, Thor brought Mjolnir down on the giant's head two more times. The third time was as hard as Thor could swing, but even then, Screamir dozed and assumed an acorn had fallen on him. When morning came, the giant awoke from his peaceful sleep and looked down at the starving, sleep-deprived band and said, Oh, I'm sorry. Could you not untie my bag? Here, allow me. The giant did this with ease. While you eat, I must be off. The castle of the king of the giants lies just over those three ridges. Be careful when you get there. You think I'm big. I'm puny compared to the giants who live there. 
Screamir waved and left Thor bulging at the temples. Once they had eaten, Thor, Loki, and Thialvi approached the castle. It was indeed inconceivably big, as big as Asgard itself in one building. Thor pushed the great door open. Inside, there was a seemingly endless banquet hall. In the distance, the trio could see a fire's light. They trekked through the hall and arrived at a throne, whereupon sat another giant. Welcome to Utgard, my friends. I am Utgard Loki, and I am the king of the giants. Only heroes may feast in Utgard, but you three look more than up to the task. Who would like to prove their worth first? The three looked at each other. Then Loki, always wanting to pull one over on Thor, said, I will. The giant king smiled. And what is your talent, my little friend? I can eat, said Loki. I can eat more and faster than anyone else. We shall see, said the king. One of the banquet tables was prepared, end to end every inch packed with food. Loki was told to stand on one end, an opponent giant would stand on the other, and whoever could eat their way into the center was the winner. Loki's opponent was aptly named Lurgi. The god of mischief began devouring every morsel of food, tearing flesh and sucking bones dry. When Loki got to the center, he was stuffed, but rather pleased with himself. You have failed, said Utgard Loki. What? cried the god of mischief. How? Loki's question answered itself when he looked over and saw that not only had his opponent Lurgi eaten all of the food, but the silverware, the crockery, and even the table itself, all was gone. Loki slunk back, suspicious but defeated. Next, Utgard Loki pointed to Thialvi. You boy, what is your talent? Thialvi stepped forward nervously and said, I'm fast, but faster than anyone I know. So a foot race was set up, with Thialvi against a giant named Hugi. The race began, and no mortal or Asgardian has ever run as fast as Thialvi. He did not even see his opponent approach, but when he finally reached the finish line, there was Hugi, not even out of breath. Next, Thor stepped forward. Enough of this. I demand a drinking challenge. Oh, say no more, replied the giant king. A great, overflowing drinking horn was produced. So large, it required two giants to carry it. Indeed, the end of the vessel was not even in sight. Utgard Loki said, Most giants would be able to drink this horn in one gulp, but as you are so small, Thor, I will give you three tries. This angered Thor even more. He lifted the horn and began to drink. Three times Thor drank, and with each try the horn still overflowed. Only after the third try did Thor establish that he had drained about a knuckle's worth. Loki was furious. I know trickery when I see it. I am something of an expert. 
No one has ever defeated Thor at the game of drink. Utgard Loki replied calmly, I am sorry you doubt me, but I'm having fun, so why don't we have another challenge? Thor, can you lift a cat? This nearly made the eyes pop out of Thor's head in rage. Can I... Can I lift a cat? The smallest child may lift a cat. Not my cat, said the giant king. A great feline slithered into the great hall, black as night with flashing green eyes. It was indeed the size of a woolly mammoth. Thor went to lift the feline, but each time the cat arched its back. With a third back-breaking attempt, Thor just about managed to lift the cat's paw from the ground. Utgard Loki said, I am impressed. What's more, the king seemed to actually mean it. One final challenge, Thor. Would you mind wrestling my old wet nurse, Ellie? I am the god of thunder, roared Thor. How dare you repeatedly insult me in this way? I would rather wrestle you. But if you insist, I will wrestle the woman. A woman older than mountains creaked into the hall. Thor didn't know where to begin. He didn't usually wrestle women as a rule, but Ellie obliged the god by grabbing his wrist. Then began a long and mighty arm wrestle. Every muscle in Thor's body bulged and ached. The old woman did not even blink. Thor would have rather died than given up. But when the giantess brought the god to one knee, Utgard Loki stood and brought the games to an end. The giant king did not seem to be enjoying himself anymore. Enough! Friends, I must confess... Not all is as it appeared in the land of giants. I have deceived you all. And, had I known how powerful you all were, I never would have invited you here in the first place. I knew it! cried Loki. Oh, wow, said Thialvi. Thor said nothing. The giant king explained. The giant you met upon arrival, Screamir. That was me in disguise. And Thor, I only survived those hammer blows by placing an invisible mountain between my head and Mjolnir. Those three ridges that led you to my castle were carved by those hammer blows. Thor was now paying attention. Loki, you ate faster than anyone I've seen. But your opponent was Lurgi. He is fire. And fire eats everything in its path. Loki enjoyed trickery too much to not appreciate this, even if he didn't like being on this end of the trick. Utgard Loki went on. Thialvi, you are mortal, and you ran a race against Hugi. That means thought. You are fast, but thought is always faster than action. And what of me? exploded Thor impatiently. The giant king stopped smiling. You, Thor, are more powerful even than your legend foretold. The drinking horn was full of the oceans of the world. 
You drank so much that tides will now rise and fall for the rest of time. My cat was actually Jormungunda, the world serpent. No one lifts the world serpent but you, Thor. You lifted its paw and no doubt caused a terrible earthquake somewhere. Finally, Ellie, my old wet nurse, she is old age, who weakens all in the end. But not you, Thor. Old age struggled to even bring you to one knee. I could not watch any more. You three are more powerful than I could have ever imagined. And as such, I'm going to make it so that not one of you ever comes to Jotunheim again. And before you could say sore winner, Utgard Loki and the world of giants vanished. Thor, Loki, and Thialvi were back in Midgard. All three were dumbfounded and yet still impressed. All had exceeded their own expectations and estimations. Thor was the only one who frowned. All that was slithering through his mind was Thor of the Midgard Serpent. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. What is Dublin? We have to explain what Dublin is. The Dublin podcast is an eternally pregnant woman. Um, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right, okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler Mm -hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the... um, World, see the see the world around them. Is that it? Is I think that a good it. explanation? Well, of that's it? a very good explanation. Uh, you can listen on Spotify. You can listen on iTunes. You can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Show your Dublin podcast. Up your ear holes. Up your ear And that was the story of Thor in the Land of Giants on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Again, this this story is just an absolute treat. It's one of those real. Perfect tales, start to finish. It is one of those stories. This can be as long or as short as you wanted it to be, and I wanted it to be somewhere in the middle, because I think when I listened to, I listened to Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman on audiobook, which is the greatest bedtime story ever. Up right up there with Stephen Fry reading basically anything. Neil Gaiman is a close second in reading his own works, and sometimes has a bit of the edge because he is such an incredible world builder and storyteller and there's nothing better than hearing a writer read his own words, if they can. But in that, this is one of the longer tales in that, in that story. This the story is over half an hour long, I think, there. So I had to edit it slightly there. But I think it kept all of the, all of the elements because you have these three very distinct sections, three sub-tales, if you will. You have, first of all, you have how Thialvi came to be a part of the party. Sometimes when you hear this story, you don't get that part. For example, I'm a big fan of the TED-Ed videos. I love those little animations they do. And one of their TED-Ed videos is 
Thor in the Land of Giants. And it's a good place to check out if you want to see a really short version of this, about five minutes long. That just opens with Thialvi just being. And perhaps we would accept that Thor and Loki were adventuring in the Land of Giants with some random mortal boy some vassal, some page, you know. We might assume that he was one of the Aesir, that he was one of the lesser gods, you know. But I just love that part of the story too much. My favourite aspect of Norse mythology is this idea of the gods in disguise visiting the mortals just to play tricks on them. I love that as a way of pagan people forcing the idea of hospitality because hospitality is important in all world cultures and all mythologies. It's something that I think we forget a lot in the modern world of the importance of it. But in Ireland, with its more temperate climate, you know, we wouldn't, we we told stories and we invited each other in and hospitality was highly praised, same in Greece. But in the Norse world, if you refused someone's hospitality, if you refused to have someone into your home, you were basically sentencing them to death. You know, a truly inhospitable winter world where if someone came to your door, you had to let them in. And so I'm not surprised that, like, it doesn't. It, it's not surprising then that Norse mythology is that bit harsher and more severe because of that. And I love the idea that, yes, it means that, it means it makes their gods more trick, more um, tricksome, if tricksome is a word, you know what I mean anyway, that... Don't refuse someone's hospital. Don't refuse to let someone into your house because it could be a god and then they could kill you. So let them in. Let them warm themselves by your fire and tell them stories. And another reason why the Norse myths are so as well preserved as they were because people had to be inside so much more inside their huts and so needed that bit more to occupy their time with. And so you have that. So I thought that first subtale was too good not to include especially with this idea of the goats the idea of the goats that Thor can kill and then reassemble like Lego Technic to have the same process again that they go around looking for other food not wanting to just eat their goats again as they don't have having to kill the goats over and over again so you have them then you have going to the world of giants and you have this wonderful episode with Screamir with the bag and loosening it all. And this is considered a later Norse myth, I found it recently, because in the Rosalind Kinnan, is that her name? Uh, the Norse myths book that I read, um, aside from Neil Gaiman's ones, there was a great, I always, I always forget the name of it. I need to keep this stuff written down. It's Norse myths and sagas, anyway, is um, is what it's called. And it goes kind of right from the beginning. Rosalind Curvin, sorry, I beg your pardon, that is her name. So Viking Myths and Sagas by Rosalind Curvin. And what I really like about that book, this book I got for Christmas last year, is... And it's a thing that's only done in uh, that I've discovered in Philip Pullman's adaptations of the Grim Tales as well, and were particularly interesting for someone like me, is that it has the stories and then it has a 
a footnote to a later page where it explains the stories. And that's, I want to see how the sausage gets made. I want to see how these stories came about where and all is possible. Uh, Phil Pullman does that masterfully in The Grim Tales where he'll have the story of Little Red Riding Hood and then he'll have a little paragraph on what he's added and what he's changed and things like that. And uh, Rosalind Curvin does a similar thing where she talks about where this story fits into the greater picture and you know, what elements were in the prose edda and what elements were in the poetic edda because that's another reason Norse mythology is as strong as it is and very definitive and less kind of subject to different authors is there basically are just the two texts. There's the prose edda and the poetic edda. And the prose edda was written by one guy, Snorri, uh, this great storyteller in Iceland in the 10th or 11th century. But Thor in the Land of Giants is considered a later tale among the Norse pantheon because, and this is going to sound strange, the gods are weaker in it. The gods are closer to mortal in this, even though it ends with them being told that they have strength beyond anything they could have imagined. But I suppose the idea that Thialvi doesn't stand out as much, even though he very much is mortal, he still is supernatural to a degree. He's still faster than anyone else. But each of them just has their their thing and they walk and it's and they ride in their chariot pulled by goats. They are closer to us. They feel more like demigods rather than totally almighty beings. And this is as a result of the Christian conversion. It happened in the Norse worlds just as it happened in the Celtic worlds. It just didn't, their stories didn't suffer as much because of it, unfortunately. <laughs> well, fortunately for the Norse. So... This is the kind of story that contextualized that because when the Christian monks converted uh, the Norse people, they kept Thor and Loki and Odin and all the boys around. They just demoted them from gods to heroes. They said, you still can't believe in these. Well, don't believe in them, but uh, they still existed. But, you know, they're not as big and strong and they didn't create the world like you did. Our God created the world. And there's a great account in the Vikings' Great Courses, which you can get on Audible. It's brilliant, brilliant, really, really fascinating book or audiobook where it talks about a Christian monk encountering a pagan woman who talks about this idea of a fight between Jesus and Thor. It's like, if Thor, if Jesus is so great, why won't he just come and fight Thor? And... The Christian monk says, well, if Jesus did come down and fight Thor, Thor would instantly burn up. He'd instantly die. And the beggar woman just said, yes, well, until he until he does, Thor has already won. And it was a brilliant little anecdote that must have happened so often of this war between these incredible, these incredibly impressive Norse gods with these great stories and then suddenly this one god with his book and his load of rules. And I love the idea of that that conflict and... That's what I love about the idea of the Norse then coming to the very recently Christianized Ireland because you had, as we saw in like the Battle of Tara and things like that, where the Norse people initially believed that they prayed to St. Patrick as a god and people were invoking St. Patrick in battle, which is a, another wonderful thought. And there are historical texts for that, that that was a real thing. So you have, uh, yes, you have a more mortal experience and then you enter the real crux of the story and the real element of it, which is, of course, in Utgard Loki's hall. And we need to take a moment for this name. It's always that we have Utgard Loki and we have regular Loki. 
and I couldn't find a huge like the name Loki itself is obviously Germanic and found a couple of different meanings for it. It means like airy, as in god of the air. It also can mean like a lock, uh, Loki, Loki. Um, but ultimately, there seems to be no real reason why one is Utgard Loki and the other is Loki, except the idea that Loki is a name like John, that it is just a, not a totally uncommon name, that there can be a couple of Lokis. And he's called Utgard Loki just to differentiate himself because he lives in Utgard. Uh, you also have the idea that that Loki is born of giants. You know, he is half-giant himself and will one day bring about Ragnarok by having the giants rise up. So you have that. Maybe Loki is more of a traditional giant name than necessarily an Aesir Asgardian name. But I just wanted to have a moment for, if anything, everyone in was going, but I hope it was clear in the story as well, especially when you had Loki talking to Utgard Loki. But you have these three challenges, the eating, the running, the drinking. Well, I suppose Thor has three challenges himself, the lifting of the cat. The Midgard Serpent is particularly noteworthy here because it is the Midgard Serpent who will kill Thor. When Ragnarok, when Ragnarok happens, you have the three children of Loki. You have Fenrir, the wolf, Jormungundr, the world serpent, and Hela, the daughter. Those are Loki's three children. Those are who will bring about Ragnarok by rising up the giants. And Fenrir is the one who will kill Odin and Jormungundr, the world serpent, is who will kill Thor. So it's very interesting that then we have this other story where Loki, where Thor has this engagement with the world serpent. And I tried to listen to a few different sources and read a different few sources for these stories because as far as I'm concerned, Neil Gaiman perfected these stories in his book and I listened to, I've listened to his audiobook. I listen to that for pleasure all the time. If I'm, ever I can't sleep, I'll just lash that on again. But I try to not listen to it too many times around writing this because I just be, feel I'd be a sponge and soak up too much and end up just rewriting a worse version of his version. But one thing I very did consciously steal from Neil Gaiman, which I hope you don't mind, is just that ending thought. He ends that story in the same way of just with Thor thinking about the world serpent. I love that of of an almost prophetic moment of Thor not being quite sure why, but him knowing somewhere in his mind that he will encounter that serpent again. And I thought it was just the most wonderful way to end the story. So I hope you all enjoyed episode 95, Thor in the World Giants. Um, I did say that this would be two parts, which it will. But uh, next week is Halloween. Next week we're going to have our Halloween special, which will be Fireside of Horror 2. And uh, those of you who remember who were listening to the podcast last year, the Halloween episode uh, took a bit of a different turn in that I was more just reading other gothic and horror literature related to folklore and fantasy uh, as a little bit of a breather and a little bit something fun and a bit different. And I'm going to do a similar thing this week. Um but it's a bit of a deeper cut and I'm really looking forward to it where we're going to just have a few read readings of a few different Irish pieces of prose and poetry and song that explore the more pagan aspect of Halloween, which was, of course, Samhain. Samhain was the end of the harvest and where the worlds, the two worlds between the living and the dead were closest and this is where this idea of Halloween came from and why we celebrate it till to this day. And then how the Christian then 
repurposed and appropriated this Celtic pagan feast of Samhain and be called it All, All Hallows' Eve and became Halloween. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you enjoy it too. Um, big thank you to all here at Headstuff, uh, to Connor, Paddy and Alan. Uh, pleasure always to come be back in the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studios. Thank you so much to all of you for listening. Follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Um, sub- uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Support the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.